For the ones who get going when the going gets tough. And the ones who know we're tougher together. For the pathfinders breaking new ground. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as fast access to experts and 24-7 customer support. Because we know you have people depending on you. So you can always depend on us. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Thank you. Yes, you for the download, for the stream, the subscription, however you figured out a way to be a part of Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's how this podcast continues to stay afloat. Of course, we offer you an episode every single week for free with some of the best interviews and analysis anywhere when it comes to professional wrestling. All I ask in return is that you support this show. You tell your friends about it. You leave an iTunes rating and an iTunes review. If you're not already subscribed, subscribe and If you want to go the extra mile, if there's just not enough Not Sam Wrestling in your life each and every week, you can also be a part of the premium format of Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast over at Stitcher.com slash NotSam. That's Stitcher.com slash NotSam. You sign up, and not only will you get this show each and every week, you'll get an ad-free version of the show and... Every other week, you're going to get a bonus show. It's called Captive Audience, where I sit down with somebody who normally wouldn't be watching wrestling with me in this day and age, and we analyze and break down one of the shows available on the WWE Network. In real time, you can watch along with us. We will provide the audio as I try to explain, whether it's my wife or my father or an old friend, why what we're watching is actually awesome Uh, The latest episode is Halftime Heat. That includes the empty arena match between The Rock and Mankind. But what you might not know is there was an entire episode of Heat that was running before the empty arena match. We watched the entire show. It's me and my buddy from high school, and I explained to him the context of everything that was going on and why this is just another example of how wrestling is so awesome. It's available only at Stitcher.com slash NotSam. It's Captive Audience alongside Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Stitcher.com slash NotSam. I can't wait for you to hear this week's interview. And guess what? You're going to be able to hear it right now because it's time to start the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Introducing your host from New York, Here is Sam Roberts. Here he is. Welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. I can't wait for you to hear this week's show. I hope you heard last week's show. Conrad Thompson was great. I heard uh, from a lot of people on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, spots like that. A lot of people uh, found Conrad to be very inspirational. All of us wrestling fans, on some level, want to figure out how to be a wrestling fan professionally. We want to figure out how we can be the biggest wrestling fan in the world and how it can pay our bills. Conrad Thompson has figured out that, in a way, I mean, he's a mortgage guy, too. If you want to be a wrestling fan for a living, you probably got to have another job to go alongside that. But... Conrad Thompson has certainly figured out a way to make a living in this podcasting world, and uh, it was great to hear him impart some of that wisdom upon us last week, as well as talk about how the relationship has been with their show, uh, him and Bruce Pritchard and the WWE Network, as well as what it's been like working with Eric Bischoff 
for the last several weeks on their new podcast, 83 Weeks. So uh, it was great. A lot of great feedback on it. And I really appreciate it. You know, I talk about Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And I do want to say that within the coming weeks, we are going to be going through somewhat of a rebrand here on the podcast. So I know uh, Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast has been around for a long time. But as we uh, venture forward into and past episode 200, very soon, very shortly, Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast content-wise is going to be exactly the same. Start out this way. Hit you with an amazing interview, bring you into the bridge segment, and hit you again with some great analysis in the state of wrestling. But going forward, uh, we're going to start the transition into becoming known as Not Sam Wrestling. This podcast is going to be called Not Sam Wrestling because it's too confusing otherwise. NotSam.com is my website. NotShoes underscore IG is the uh, not shoes Instagram account for all my stuff about sneakers. Not Sam across all forms of social media. Not Sam.com. Not Sam Wrestling. A lot easier for everybody to remember. So we're we're going to over the next few weeks transition into uh, going from Sam Roberts Wrestling podcast to Not Sam Wrestling, which I'm very very excited. Uh, not Sam as a content brand is going to continue to expand uh, over the next several months and probably years as well. But it's very fun for you guys to be in on the ground floor. And this wrestling podcast is going to be a huge part of that because Not Sam as a content brand, as a lifestyles brand, I mean a huge pillar of that. Maybe the biggest pillar of that, but a huge pillar of that revolves around pro wrestling. And that's why uh, this podcast, Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, a.k.a. Not Sam Wrestling, uh, is going to be as important a part of it uh, as any. Probably more so. So, we we go into the interview segment. This week, um, it's a historical episode of Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. It's a very, very important episode of Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, of Not Sam Wrestling, because for the first time, I don't think I've ever done this before, but for the first time, we're going to do a two-parter. Uh, a couple of days ago, and some of you guys saw it on Twitter, it was uh, last weekend, Jeff Jarrett tweeted out, that he was jumping on an airplane from Nashville, Tennessee, down to New York City. Or maybe up to New York City. I don't know. I know wrestling. I don't know geography. Somebody on Twitter this week was like, stick to talking about wrestling. You don't have a degree in politics. You can't talk about politics. And I corrected him and said, yes, you're right. But my degree is in sports entertainment. Very, very different. Um, really, really funny when people tweet out stuff like that. I'm so glad so many of you responded like, what? It's America. We can talk about whatever we want. Um, so, and I don't think that he has a degree in bothering me on Twitter. Um, Jeff Jarrett got on that flight and his first stop in New York City, which should be the first stop for any sports entertainer that makes a trip to New York City, was to this studio, the wonderful, vivacious, beautiful, not Sam studio. He came here and we sat down and broke down, I mean, his entire career. When when I heard Jeff Jarrett was going to be stepping into the Not Sam studio uh, and knew that this was the first time that Jeff Jarrett has been on the show. I mean, the other people that have been in Not Sam studio, you know, Dalton Castle's been down here, uh, Corey Graves, Tom Phillips, uh, and then, of course, people outside of the wrestling world have been uh, down here. But a lot of those people I've already kind of, uh, I've spoken to in the past, I'm, I'm familiar with, we're friends 
Jeff Jarrett, while I was friendly with him, while we've been corresponding for quite some time, he had never been on the podcast before. I've never even interviewed Jeff Jarrett before. Our paths crossed at WrestleMania. So, you know, obviously I've been aware of Jeff Jarrett since I'm a little kid. First time I knew of Jeff Jarrett was actually, I think, before he debuted in WWE because I was a wrestling magazine mark. So I would pick up Inside Wrestling, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, Main Event, all of the magazines. All of the magazines, and I, I, I'd find out. That's why, like, when T.L. Hopper showed up in WWE, I knew he was Dirty White Boy because I remembered him from the magazines. I didn't, you know, you didn't have access to independent wrestling like you do now with the advent of the internet back then. But you could see pictures of all these guys. When the, I, I would study, when Pro Wrestling Illustrated would put out the PWI 500 every year, I would study these lists because half the list, it would be my first exposure to them. And I remember them doing coverage of USWA and shows like that and Jeff Jarrett's face popping up here and there. Uh, but in terms of actually seeing him in action, it was the end of 93, going into 94, I want to say, that I saw Jeff Jarrett for the first time in WWE as Double J, <laughs> Jeff Jarrett. Um, and so obviously, you know, I've I, I followed him since then as Double J, leaving, coming back, leaving again, going to WCW, coming back, the NWA, don't piss me off, uh, tag team with Owen Hart, good housekeeping match, back over to WCW, don't piss me off, Jeff Jarrett, King of the Mountain, WCW champion, out of there, starts TNA, goes through the ups and downs, appears, disappears, appears, disappears, TNA Hall of Fame, NWA champion, Goes away again, comes back, Global Wrestling Federation. Not Global Wrestling. Global Force Wrestling is what I meant. Global Force Wrestling goes away again, merges Global Force and TNA, has his personal demons to figure. I mean, there's so much, so much. And this is just really sort of the base coat of the Jeff Jarrett conversation. Um, but I had Jeff Jarrett here, and this was one that I really wanted to do a deep dive into. Because Jeff Jarrett is one of those characters that if you grew up, I was born in 1983. If you grew up at the same time that I did, if you're, you know, 10, 11 years old when Jeff Jarrett first busts onto the scene, unforgettable character. One of the last real unforgettable characters. You remember the vignettes, you remember everything. Um, and there was a lot that I wanted to ask Jeff about. So we took a deep dive uh, and got pretty far into his career. We ended up talking for a very long time down here in the Not Sam studio. So I decided for the first time ever to divide this interview up into two parts. Two parts. First part this week, second part next week. Both equally good, both the same length. It's gonna be it's gonna be great. And I think you're really, really, really going to enjoy this experience. So this week, we're gonna start with part one of the Jeff Jarrett interview us talking, talking Hall of Fame, getting the pleasantries out of the way, but in terms of deep diving, going into basically his first WWE run. That's what today is going to be about. It's going to be about getting to know Jeff Jarrett a little bit, seeing what he's up to today, and then going through from the time he started in WWE until the time that he packed his bags and went to Atlanta for WCW for the first run. I believe that's where we'll stop. After the first, uh, when the first WCW run begins, 
that's where we'll we'll hit pause. But we'll be able to do a deep dive into everything you've ever wanted to know. The matches with with Shawn Michaels, the matches with Razor Ramon, with my baby tonight, Road Dog, leaving WWE, walking out, whether he regrets it or not. So much stuff. All the matches with Doink, all the vignettes, working with Bruce Pritchard. So much stuff to dig into. And we're going to do it all here, ladies and gentlemen, for the first time on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Ain't he great? My guest this week, part one of my exclusive interview with Double J, <laughs> Jeff Jarrett. And now, the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast interview. Welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, here from the Not Sam Studio. And uh, I have to tell you, this must be huge for my guest. I'm, of course, the last professional broadcaster, Sam Roberts. But in a single year, to be inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame and to get to sit down in the Not Sam studio, it's got to be a huge thrill. Jeff Jarrett is here. Jeff. And the third thrill is I'm sitting with you, Sam, in Midtown Manhattan. What a <laughs> yeah. your view is incredible. That's right. Just just beyond the camera, it's a, you can see you can see across the river and Mean Jeans. Mean Jeans, right there. Yeah, <laughs> everybody's and, and, there. And who else is there? Oh wow. Yeah. There's Dink and Doink and uh, right a whole. Right, all all There's the mid- Yoko. Look at Yoko in his robe and everything. Yeah, the Midtown Manhattan all regulars. Yeah. It's great to be here. We joked quite a bit about it in uh, Mania Weekend, and and um, you finally um, coughed up the right cash. And I did. Here, here I, I did. <laughs> well, the price tag's heavy. We had to do a few, uh, uh, you know, almost two hundred episodes before we could gather up enough money to get you here. But and it's worth few, every penny. And a few garage sales in uh, New Rochelle. Right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, uh, Jeff, the first question on everybody's mind is, what's the haps? Oh man, it's uh, a bit surreal these days. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know where you really want me to start, but uh, you know the Hall of Fame obviously kicked this year off uh, in an amazing way. Uh, just as we got rolling, I was uh, talking to your much better half oh. uh, as you were. You talking about the dog? Yes. Yeah. As you were sitting there, and, and no, it just you know the, the as the year rolled out. Uh, it's been amazing. It, it really has. In some, you know, we've joked a lot, but now I, I think I'm going to have to get serious here. Yeah, for a, a little bit here and there. During, we'll go up and down during these next three hours. Kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Scaring people. Hours. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, it's been um, it's been really cool. Uh, you know, the Hall of Fame thing has generated. Um, I knew it'd be big. I just had no idea how much. Um, how much I don't want to say buzz because that sounds like I'm, I'm I'm you know mainstream news or something like that. But personally, for me, in, in my world, uh, it's just generated an enormous amount of um, opportunities and just a lot going on. And uh, I'm sure we'll get to a few of these things. Oh, as absolutely. We roll along, the, but I just got back from Mexico. That that was uh, it was as much a shock to me as anybody. So yeah, um, yeah a lot going on going over to the UK next month. Um, the end of the year as it's rolling out, um, Starcast is coming up. Yeah, uh, did a partnership with Fight, the streaming. I'm right about that. Uh, it's just one thing after another after another, and I'm I'm I mean, if you had to put one word on this year, uh, be um, just a, a, a I'm, I've been very humbled. Humbled. Yes. That's really interesting because in, in an amazing yeah. way. Yeah, I, I, I never would have dreamed 2018 would have. Uh, started off and continue to go like it has. A lot of times people take the negative things and say like, oh, that humbled me. But for you, it's all the 
kind of this new wave of success. It's almost like this this new part of your career where a lot of people are like, well, that's it. This whole new wave is just beginning and you yeah. can kind of feel it. And you're like, well, what is going on? And I think that part of it, and we talked about this a little bit before we came down, is that it's not just being in the Hall of Fame changes everything. You, I think, are a special case because it also, you going into the Hall of Fame marked all of us marks figuring out no, you're not a mark that you are you're back in the family like that was because you were the last name really <laughs> i can't think I, I sat there at the hall of fame and i'm going like okay san martino warrior macho you had these names that oh, were quote unquote blacklisted you know you don't yeah, okay. and they they had all come back and it was like well jeff jarrett's the one that whatever it is whatever this thing is whatever the the resentment is interesting it's just not going to happen and then when it just happens, it's like, okay. And it kind of reminds everybody, like, we can all celebrate Jeff Jarrett again. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's not this he's not pariah. The, he's not the four-letter word. Right, no. <laughs> right. J-E-double-F is, no. Uh, yeah, I mean, in that, and I never really looked at it that way, but also never even, I, I never, I never gave the Hall of Fame, as far as me being inducted, I never even gave it a second thought. It right. just wasn't going to happen. Totally accepted, uh, understand it. And went on about my life, um, essentially ever since I have, uh, since 2002. Uh, yeah, that's kind of the, 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 you know, going through your history and everything, that's the impression that I always kind of got, that you just figured, okay, well, if this isn't happening right now, I'm not just going to sit around, do the convention circuit, and wait until it happens. I got to figure out what the next move is, and just whether it's going to go in this direction or I have to create a direction, you're going to move. But let's talk about... Uh, Getting back to WWE, there was that video that they put out on YouTube. You went to the SmackDown taping before the Hall of Fame. What was it like to be back there? How had it changed? How was the vibe different? And and was there a familiarity to it, or had it changed so much that you were like, this is a different deal now? It, it was unbelievable in both. The, the answer to the question is exactly the same and then totally different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know that sounds like, oh, you're giving two answers. It really was. On the one hand, um, and there was the video that captured it, you know, um, uh, dot com came to my house at, gosh, 630 in the morning, 615, really early that, that Tuesday morning. And we started videoing and we were just doing things about my, and that'll be on the network at some point, you know, me taking my kids to school, the, the cameras rolled with us, um, little odd jobs around town. We, we, we did a bunch of stuff, we, you know, and I, and I knew what the day was planning. Uh, and then just out of nowhere, uh, they asked me, I don't know what the question was, but man, just a wave of emotion came over me. And the, the, you know, sort of the byline of that whole was this didn't have to happen. They, they didn't have to do this. And that emotion really came over me strong. And then pulling up, and, and it's funny, pulling up to Bridgestone Arena in Nashville, I've been to that building an awful lot over the last 15 years, but not for wrestling. Mm-hmm. Uh, hockey games, concerts, events. You know, I know that building um, is good as or better than any building in the world just because I've been around it um, and, 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 and seen it grown, and they've done additions, and they've added, all that kind of stuff. But to be pulling up for a SmackDown live taping um all those emotions came back and then you just see production guys and directors and guys that i've worked with it was like 
I almost stepped back in time for a minute when I saw some of the faces that you go, oh, my God. And then, you know, the gorilla position and, and just sort of walk, just those kind of things. And then the production room. And and they showed that. They captured that. And that is one thing. I don't have to tell you. You know, the WWE rarely misses a beat. But mm. The cameras were everywhere. Yeah. And they captured me seeing AJ Styles and Bobby Roode. And, and literally that was the first time that me and Zack Ryder had ever had any kind of interaction and I messed with except him. on Twitter yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean I saw him tweeting you all weekend building up to this thing <laughs> but it was funny but those kind of emotions that just came out and then you know just being in catering and, and then you know there was people at the Bridgestone Arena who I know personally know and they're there and they're looking at me like what the heck are you doing here right uh, and then we you know we went out and shot that piece so it was really really cool um I'm just I'm the one thing and and since time has rolled by that I'm really thankful for is from the time that Tuesday started all the way till the following Monday it's all documented ESPN was with me they've got pictures of me and Sean and just I call it intimate moments me and Goldberg and backstage at Maney all that kind of stuff so uh but that Tuesday very emotional and um Man, it was special. It really was. And it really is amazing. It's got to be for you. Because when I think about it, like as a fan, it's amazing. You know, you just talked about getting to see AJ Styles and Bobby Roode and getting to see Goldberg. And like that weekend, I feel like really accentuates the fact that WWE has evolved way past a company and into this is the representation of almost wrestling history in the United States. You know what I mean? They're, they, they've gotten all the libraries. They're curating. They've gotten the superstars. <laughs> like they're getting everything it, it, under it, one roof and it's so different than uh, you know you can almost say that about the NFL because the NFL is American football sure. they, they, you know and, and now you know I, I say that with XFL and another organization right. on the way NFL for now <laughs> as we speak yeah, as we speak that's right. what, but 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 you know I've obviously been on my outside looking in since 2002 and you know dealing whether it's uh, with Marvel toys in the beginning and then Jack Pacific or uh, broadcasters around the world it's WWE, and you could almost to a T look at different barometers from a financial point of view, from a viewership point of view. Um, got so many different markers. They're, they are seven to nine times anything else. They are, I think, above 90% market share. They are professional wrestling. And then as you, I got the opportunity, as we've just talked about, you know, to look at it from a perspective of the Hall of Fame. Yeah, it's it 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 is the professional wrestling industry for all intense matters. Um, it's the history. Yeah, they 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 are they are wrestling. Right. They and and you know you you watch an NFL game or an NBA, you watch anything, any kind of TV. They don't refer to it uh, as tissue paper. They refer to it as Kleenex. Mm -hmm. It is Coke. It it it, it is wrestling. Right. Period. Right. What kind of Coke do you want? I have a Pepsi. (laughs) (laughs) Well said. Yeah. Well, you've done this before. Well, let's. uh, (laughs) How does that compare to you walking in? Because when you went when you started full time with WWE. It was 93. You'd gone, you, 93, 94. And you'd been wrestling for about eight years. Seven years. Seven years, yeah. Seven years, full time. So when you walk into that environment then, all those years ago for the first time, what was that experience like? How does wow. that compare to it? Like as a young man looking around, because clearly, you know, even then it was a different world than oh God. what you had encountered. Unbelievable. I mean, you know, I had wrestled uh, in the seven state area around Tennessee. I'd gone to Japan, Puerto Rico, Texas, 
those are the areas that I'd really wrestle in. So uh, to come to the big city, to come to the Big Apple, come to Poughkeepsie, New York, and Lowell, Massachusetts, and, and all the places that, you know, it was Raw Superstars Challenge. It was our three days of taping. Um, and, you know, I was mesmerized as a kid, and then the, for the first five, six years of my career, you know, the Mid-South Coliseum, the Louisville Gardens, those buildings, but on a weekly basis, they, there was very little production. You know, there's a ring light. Um, our marketing consisted of, um, you know, some personal appearances and a, and a newspaper ad. You know, just the marketing side is just minuscule. Um, so, you, you know, you, you in our TV was done in a Channel 5, 1960 right. Union Avenue, Memphis, Tennessee. <laughs> but it's literally where they did the 5 and 10 o'clock news uh-huh. in those days. Clear so, out the desk and put in a ring that's, and some bleachers. It, it, that's exactly. Well, not yeah. even bleachers. Right. Uh, about 75 chairs. That's I mean, it. So th- that was, that was quote-unquote TV. And mm-hmm. then you, you get there, and you're doing Raw. And, and, you know, we're doing what? We're doing four episodes in one night? And that's how far back I go. We did four one-hour episodes of Raw. Uh, when I got there and so that kind of stuff and I can just remember just looking around the venues and just wanting to get dialed in and taking mental notes I loved it I've always been really immersed but it was it was a completely new world but you had a promoter's mentality even as a young man like you're looking around and taking in the details of like okay how does this work how do they pull that off how does you know what they have a special department for this how do they light this thing all that stuff and and what was crazy is is you know uh, 93, the business was just starting back up, uh, you know, 91 down, 92 down for, for, for live events and all that. Mm-hmm. And, and I can remember, um, you know, w- wherever we shot TV, it would look completely sold out and people going crazy and fast paced and in and out of breaks. And I go, I can just remember going, well, wasn't that? What quite like that when we taped it? Uh, <laughs> no, Dad. No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, he was up there, but no, I can remember. T- you know, it, it just j- just their production values yeah. took a average show, and I say average with the, it, the intensity and the excitement. And you know, those people are sitting there for four and five hours, so right. the, the buzz. But man, once you see what airs on TV and the, the it's VO'd and and so clean and so the matches are are, are damn near perfect and the production cuts and all that. I was I was like this is how you do it. Yeah. Now what did you think when you get there of the what did you what was your first response to the double J character? Cuz you're keeping your name but obviously double J was not what you had been doing before. That. No. No, I mean the 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 thing that that I I, I kind of think I knew I was going to be a heel. Mm-hmm. That excited me because I'd been 7 years of uh the blonde-haired blue-eyed baby face. Uh, and your dad thought you were that's what you were naturally, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. For, 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 for more or less. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the promoter's kid, and everybody knew that. And I was, that's such a hard stigma um, to overcome. And I knew I'm it. Sure. I, 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 I knew I was always sort of fighting that uphill battle. Um, and, you know, my grandmother at the time um, was a promoter, and she was there every Saturday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And my dad was there, you know, half the time in Memphis on Monday. So for me to be a heel, it just wasn't going to work mm-hmm. in, in that mentality sure. uh, of that era of the industry. And so I knew I was going to get the opportunity to be a heel. Love that. Uh, and then with the Double J character, it's, it's it, you know, that may be, and maybe it's me, um, but it was the first time that I'm going, I'm going to play an extension of my personality that I've never got the opportunity to. I love country music. Uh, did I come up? No, that's Vince. Vince came up with that I'm going to take over country music by taking over the WWF, the double JF. So right. it was cool. I mean, yeah. I, I, I mean it's just I, such an I, – I think about it to this day, even as a kid, I'm sitting there going, who admits – 
that what they're doing is a stepping stone. It's just the most obnoxious, <laughs> yes. like, we love this thing. Why would we want you to use it as a stepping stone? It was brilliant. Yeah, just that, that, that phrasing of it. The fr- Stepping stone. Yes. It's like, gonna, and, 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 and I can remember, uh, and Bruce Pritchard, you know, remember, and we've talked about this, remember you're going to use the WWF. That That is so emotionally invoking okay you're going to use us right what right and you're telling us it, it translated well right yeah it really did were the were the vignettes as fun to shoot as Bruce Pritchard has described them it, yeah, yeah. We, yeah short answer absolutely and and the thing that was sort of my head was spinning was you know um, brand new character outfits I always and always still to this day I'm always big about presentation you know, if you if you don't look the part, there's no way your audience is going to believe you. It's just it doesn't work. You, right. You, I mean, period. I don't care if you're playing a bum. You better look like a bum, right? A, a real bum, uh, not a drugstore bum. But anyway, <laughs> uh, but no, that that. And so I remember the costume changes and making sure and and it it was good. But yeah, we did all that in two days. That is something that I look back now. There's we we as a producer, I would never ask a guy, hey, go shoot me. Uh, I think nine. No, 10, 12, I don't know, 10 vignettes, and we did recaps. There's, I mean, that's we hats off to Bruce and Kerwin. Uh, right. That th- Those guys came to town. Kerwin's one of those faces, by the way, who's still, still, still there. with WWE. He still remembers it, and, and he had fun. We all had fun with yeah. it. And, and I, you know, I, I didn't realize how much fun I was having because I was so dialed into it. And Bruce would give me quite a bit of verbiage, and I would have to make it a little bit my own and add a little and cut a little and, and but try to do exactly what he asked. But, man, I can say this, by the end of those two days, A, I was sick of spelling my name, but B, I said, this is good. You knew it. Well, I I knew that there's no doubt in my mind. Now, I had no idea that I was never going to appear. That, that to me, was part of the brilliance of it. I never stepped foot in a a ring to wrestle Mm -hmm. until 13 weeks in. They did 10 or 11, 12 weeks of the vignettes, a compilation vignette. And then I appeared. Right. That was I, I. I still to this day think that was one of the best moves for my character to launch to right. go into that. I knew they were good. I knew I hated myself when I would watch it back on the little monitor. You know, the, and that's Bruce. Bruce really invoked the character. We're, we're sitting here talking about it. Use and stepping stone. Yeah. Those kind of words, and you just go. What an asshole. It's true. And there was this moment, too, when I realized how effective those vignettes were. It really wasn't until the Hall of Fame. Because I was there at your rehearsal. And that's when you walked out and you were practicing your intro. When you went, howdy, folks. And I was like, <laughs> like there was, just, there was a visceral thing where I was like, oh, I can't believe yeah. how much. Like, I remember how much this means to me. But it was also, I think, one of the last characters to be introduced like that. You know, everybody talks about Ted DiBiase and Mr. Perfect yeah, yeah, yeah. and those classic, even, you know, Dusty Rhodes when he first came in, those classic vignettes. WWE vignettes. Like, Double J was one of the last characters to be yes. introduced through those vignettes over the course of that many weeks. And I call it equity. You really put a lot of deposits into a character when they don't see you wrestle. Everybody right. wrestles in a one hour, two hour, now three hour show. And and I can remember the, the first house show loop that I went on you know, good booing, uh, you know, a, a good reaction coming down the aisle, but when they'd give me the mic and they were lowered, and I'd just say that. Howdy, Howdy folks. <laughs> Double J here. <laughs> Boo! I mean, they really can't. Just, just that. And you know what's great, too? I just thought of this, is the music would play in the vignette, which means when that music gets played for the house, immediately we all know who That's this is. That's what I'm saying. Presentation. Yeah, and, and we're booing. 
you know, um, you got your Porter and, Wagner outfits on. And, <laughs> in, 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 in my TNA days, you know, that, that presentation is something you just think, how do you present? How do you do it? And and that they they did it right. Oh, God, back in those days, man. I know it's a different era and it's a different mindset and the millennials and, and all that. But there's something to presenting uh, a performer. Um, you know, I'll say this NFL um uh, the, on the the NFL, the Fox guys, and and I know they're going on SmackDown, but 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 when you watch their hour pregame show, mm-hmm. you know far or you know back in the day, whatever the foot, whatever the storyline is of the football game, they did it right, right, and 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 you bite in, and 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 that's something that I think professional wrestling fans they want to see that uh, pregame hype. Whose idea was the straps? The strap top? Because I feel like I hadn't seen it before. I haven't seen it since. <laughs> That's <laughs> probably a reason. That. <laughs> no, that was me. Yeah, uh, I wanted something different. Um, Did you just think of it? Did you draw a picture and give it to a seamstress? Yes. Like, yeah. 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 Um, Jill, my wife at the time, mm-hmm. who passed away in 07, um, I, you know, I said, look, there's got to be some things. But, you know, Jerry Lawler had the one strap. Right. So I couldn't go with – and I never liked the singlet because I'm not an amateur wrestler. I was never an amateur wrestler. So I said, all right, I'm going to – and then one thing led to another, and I actually did. I sort of sketched it out. First I came up with three, but if you put three on the front, then it's really going to look stupid. Two on the back, that's sort of – or, or, or one, I'm trying to think. I did a couple of different things, and I came up with no with three and two. Or however, it was, it worked. Yeah, yeah, and spaced out properly, so it's not just like in the middle and yes, you know, weird yes, like spaces, yes. dead well, dead I'm space. Trial and error with my seamstress. Yeah, but yes, <laughs> bless her heart, man. She was great. She uh, lived down in East Nashville, and and once we sort of got it going, I can remember. And she said, "I'll have them ready for you on the next trip," and she she had them ready. What was your What were your expectations going into WWE at the time? Did you think? Okay, they got all this hype around me. I'm going right to the main event. Was it okay? It might take some time, but you know, uh, the the one thing Lawler had gone up there, and, yeah. and Lawler, you know, was my dad's business partner. But as far as in the ring, he he so good. I mean, God, he was so good. It's so good. But I mean, just you know, in those days, and 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 he wasn't, you know, in, in his earlier days. I heard earlier stories how you know him and Dundee's. In their prime in the early 80s, I was a little bit past that. But, no, uh, Sean had come to town. Owen had come to town. You know, Sean and them made their path through. But, you know, I'd, I'd known Sean. I'd seen him. Um, you know, he had a great run, 91, 92, 93, when he was breaking out. Yeah. And I knew that I'd had my matches with him. So I'm like, all right. And then, you know, Kurt Henning had come mm-hmm. down from, from Minneapolis, and then he went up there. So I had worked with guys who were – uh, main eventing or semi main eventing, main eventing in the WWF. I was ready to get there. I, I, I you know, I worked six or seven nights a week. Uh, was working out like crazy. Um, studied the game back then. I wanted to have the best match on the card every night, um, and 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 you know, just tried to to. I, I, I don't say I wanted better opponents. That's probably not the accurate deal. But I wanted to get on a bigger stage. That's for sure. Now, was there any disappointment in that first year? Because really, it wasn't until your second year that you really started to have some stuff. Because no. I mean, the first year of pay per views, it was you had your Royal Rumble match. You had uh, WrestleMania was the, you yeah. got you weren't even on the show. You got the tag match was wiped off because of the ladder match, right? So that's that. But you had no. Mabel at SummerSlam, which you know I don't you know no. I, and, and Doink that was Kevin Nash used right. to joke with me. He said, "Oh, at least I don't have to wipe pay, uh, makeup off." You know, right? Because you ran with Doink for a while, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but no, Jack Lanza, an agent at the time, um, you know, and he didn't even say this to. to he, it was almost a matter of fact. Chief Jay Strongbow was an agent. Those guys, in those times, the, the 
the way they looked at it is you're going to have a year before you you get put in a slot. It, mm-hmm. it was a year to get over. Yeah. It, it was, we're going to do this right. Because um, if you look at each of those programs that I had, it was a building block. Yes. It was another building Definitely. block. It was a building block. You know, and, and me being around the industry, you know, was I jumping up and down? Yeah, I get to do this for another six, eight weeks. Yeah, I get to do this. No, I, but I did know. I understood they're building the character. And just the reaction. I could hear when I went out every night. Right. And it built and it built and it built. And I'm like, yep, there, there is. I keep going at equity. But that's I, I knew when they pulled the trigger uh, on whatever angle uh, for us to get ratings or draw money or, or, or that, it was going to be ready because they were building it. And it's a slow build. And, and that's the right way to do it. We'll get back to Double J momentarily. I've told you all about it before. If you haven't listened to me yet, now is the perfect time to listen. Buying tickets to sports and concerts, it can be complicated, it can be confusing, but I'm here to tell you that there's a better way to buy, and that is with SeatGeek. This is a big weekend coming up for WWE. Chicago, it's a big wrestling city. You're talking about TakeOver Chicago. You're talking about Money in the Bank. You're talking about All In coming up in September. All these shows are difficult to get tickets to. How about a couple months from now? SummerSlam. You're talking about the Barclays Center hosting TakeOver, SummerSlam, Raw, and SmackDown. People are already coming up to me, and they're going, Sam, I'm trying to get these SummerSlam tickets, but I think I waited too long. You know what I tell them? No such thing. You know why? SeatGeek. All you have to do is download the SeatGeek app onto your phone, and the rest is as simple as point and tap. Listen, they put up seating charts. of ev- First of all, they have every event you could ever want. It's not just for wrestling. A lot of you guys are probably going to want to go to wrestling shows. It's for wrestling. It's for other sporting events, football, baseball, basketball, whatever you want to go to. Broadway, comedy, concerts, whatever you want to see. Hot 97 Summer Jam was here in New York over the weekend. You could have gotten tickets to that via SeatGeek, but you slept on it. Don't mix, miss the next big show. Get tickets to it on SeatGeek. A little uh, 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 picture is going to come up. It's a seating chart. You can make it big. You can make it small. It shows you all of the seats available, and they're color-coded according to value. You can make sure you're getting the best seats at the best value guaranteed through SeatGeek+. Plus. All of their tickets are guaranteed authentic. You're not going to get embarrassed going to the door, and you're going to know that you got the best tickets available because SeatGeek brings in data from all over the place to make sure that it's in one simple Easy to use, easy to find place. And as if that's not good enough, I can get you an even better deal because I can get you $20 off your first purchase from SeatGeek. All you have to do is download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code SAM today. That's promo code SAM, S-A-M, and you're going to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. I wouldn't steer you wrong. Do it now. Back to Jeff Jarrett. And it was dead on because it was just about a year in that you started working with Razor and yep. Sean and those guys. How did you get along with the with Razor and Sean and the Click guys in that era? That's kind of the notorious era for those night. guys. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, yeah that that was um, uh, Hunter had not got there yet, mm-hmm. so it was me and um, you know Sean. Um, it was Kevin, Scott, me, 
uh, and Sean in the car, and sometimes Sean would be off and Lex Luger would be in the car. Wow. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> there, there's some funny stories, the four of us uh, traveling together. But uh, no, me, Kevin, and Scott did a lot of traveling, and then X-Pac was in the car uh, quite a bit. So there was a group of, you know, we needed to split up. But no, that's who I ran with, who, who I traveled with. Uh, and so, um, you know, I can remember Scott Hall laughing, like, look at you with all that. Because every night after you wrestle Doink, you got face paint over you. <laughs> of course you so, did. So, you know, on a house show run, I'm wearing the same thing. I, you know, all right, guys, we're going back to the hotel, blah, blah, blah. I'll meet you downstairs, and we're going to go to eat and Denny's or whatever. What I have to do first? Get the makeup out of my jacket. <laughs> <laughs> Scott says, let him go wash. No, but no. So, yeah. And what do you have to do that in a sink? Yes, hotel yeah. sink. Yeah. yeah, you just have the to hand time, wash. Big boy. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, we finally got here. I got to wash clown makeup off my jacket. <laughs> exactly. Seriously, exactly. Uh, and I would imagine, too, I mean, all the stories about, you know, Shawn Michaels and Kevin Nash and Scott Hall and X-Pac and all those guys, they say that the reason that they rode together was because they loved the business so much. They yeah. ate, slept, breathed the yes. business. And it sounds like just based on what you're telling me about first getting there and observing everything, same mindset on you. And and what was good was is that, um, again, just using it as, as a learning experience in, in that, you know, listen to the guys talk. It's a different style. Um, remember, I came from a territory that we talked about. We literally had a weekly show, and we were in weekly towns. So you had to have the match, um, basically a different match every week. Well, now you, you come up, and, and I had my doink match, and mm-hmm. you had an A match, a B match, and sometimes a C match. But you really critique things and learn trial and error. Uh, so by the time you got to the pay-per-view, you put it all together, uh, a match of, you know, it, it, and that's why I, I learned different things like that. Um, learned about the presentation of, of how well WWE, you know, just in the car and uh, trading stories. And how do you pick an A, B, or C match? Is it just like, well, we did an A match last night. Let's do the B match tonight and just work them out? The amount of people. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. No, but, but no, it, that, but really placement on a card. Sure. Uh, length of the card. You know, if you're in the main event, you better deliver a main event match. If you're in a semi, deliver right. a semi. If you're, and the amount of people, I mean, you know, Madison Square Garden's going to get a different match than this little town over it's, here. It, you know, they're always going to be quality, but really right. it's the length of, of not just the length, so, sort of you you can just, you can layer it up and you, you can, uh, that that to me is a pro. There, there's a time when you leave everything out there and there's another time that you just got to be smart with mm-hmm. your body. Mm-hmm. You absolutely in those days, you know, we were doing ten on, three off, four on, three off, right? Uh, and so that's 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 a grind. How did you get along with Vince McMahon at this point? Good, yeah, uh, yeah, and that's when we, if you want to get to it, but I've, I've never, not really, I, I don't want to say personally got along with him. Definitely had creative differences, but, right? But but it was great, and you know, um, I, the thing that I would listen to is that's been it back when he was play by play. Him and Lawler were play by play on Raw. Yeah, and, and you could really, uh, you know, and, and and yes, I mean, and and the, you could figure out what he liked. A lo- you, listening you, to because you, you know him. What you know yeah. him, and 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 obviously it's the '90s, so the announcing styles are different. Sure, but when you hear Lawler and Vince, and then later Jr. and 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 Lawler. And how they're, and as JR, I love his saying, you know, we make the music, he, they write the lyrics. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you got to give them the right music, you got to give them the beat, and you got to give them time to tell the story. And those kind of things, when I would listen um, and on a TV match and say, okay, when I did this, and as I strut, that really gives them time 
to talk just about me. Right, right. You, you, there's certain things that you learn as a performer to go, I'm going to force them, not really force them, but, but you, you leave them very few options. The only thing they can talk about is you. Right. And throw the guy out of the ring and do my strut. It's just me. <laughs> yeah. What else are you going to talk about? <laughs> but you got to throw him out of the ring where it makes sense. But no, of you, course. You, you tie it all together. Yeah. And and that is, that's a part of the art of the industry that I think nowadays so much is churned out. It's it's more difficult nowadays. In that era, did it become a frustrating thing when you do matches with Doink for three months and then go to the pay-per-view and fight Mabel? Or, you know, something like that in the sense that, like, I perfected this match over here and now no, all of a sudden... That, that, or, part, no, no. Not, not to me. I always enjoyed it. And that's something that, coming from the territory, I had to learn and, 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 and I was, to this day, I, I believe I can have a match with any style of wrestler. That that just came with the nature of the beast in our territory. Yeah, how did you feel about the roadie being brought in? It, it, you know, the the and me and Brian got to reconnect over it. It was we we're still arguing. I still going to say it was Lowell Mass uh, where he had. But anyway, I thought it was so cool because the Double J character was so defined. Yeah, but we were at a point where I hadn't sang. Right, uh, we hadn't taken the musical side uh, down very far. Um, and it was just ready and it, for so many things. And, and the, you know, because I'd go out every night, the world's greatest singer, world's greatest entertainer, world's greatest wrestler. And, you know, he had the little That's mag back light. when you were saying wrestler. You wrestler. You'd, now you'd say world's greatest singer, world's greatest entertainer, world's greatest sports entertainer. There you go. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but, no, it was – it really um, – Man, it just took the character to a whole nother level. That wasn't your idea to bring nope. in a roadie. Nope. They they brought that to you and said, "This is what we're going to package you with." This is what we're doing. And you kind of immediately were like, "Okay, this is going to work." Or was it when you saw Brian do it, you were like, "Yeah, that's going to work." Just the fact of having because because if you'll see in the original vignettes, uh, that I had a driver. Mm -hmm. uh, I had a secretary. I had uh, a step and fetch it. Uh, I had all these people around me, an entourage. Right. Uh, that that you know that's what all entertainers have. Even right. you know it's much more pronounced nowadays. But I always saw the the double J entertainer side. You have all these people around it. Also know that that if you surround your people at ringside, even if it's just one, you add another layer. And Brian, you know, with his background. I knew that I said, okay, this is there. This can really personally help me, uh, and then hit it off right with Brian, and 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 knew I said, All right, this is magic. And and you know what? I really think from the very first night out, everybody said this is clicking. Yeah, I I always knew when something really worked when my dad was into it because my dad always thought wrestling was so stupid, yeah. and I just loved it, and he thought it was all so dumb. But there was like, there's a handful of things he loved seeing the second doink come out at WrestleMania nine, brilliant. And I'm like, okay, that's working. And he loved the you had the roadie and like he was a roadie. Like the, the little nuances of that character, crouching at ringside instead of standing. That little thing. It's like, yes. that's perfect. He, he did it. I mean, he, he actually went out and watched some roadies yeah. just to get it. And Brian's very, very creative. And he got it. I thought the mag light because um, they darkened, and when he came through the curtain, he'd shine it like that. <laughs> it, it, it was, oh, I mean, to me, it's so irritating. It yeah. worked. Yeah. Now, do those, those little things, were those... He, that was Brian coming up with There's a lot Brian, of them. Well, Brian was, like, "Hey, what do you think about this?" I mean, uh, he literally he said, "Like, I'm going to wear this hat backwards," and he got an elbow pad, and he yeah, the and single he, out, yeah, and, and he yeah. got the handkerchiefs hanging out because he just went out and saw different. He just looked at 
30 roadies around and said, I'm going to take some of this, some of this, yeah. some of this, some of this. And then he went and talked to some of the guys. I think somebody on the staff talked about his mag light, you know, uh, a guy backstage who can't, I mean, they pull it out. He's like, I need it. <laughs> I mean, he, he really took that character and dove in. That's great. So, of course, that leads us into the thing that, uh, and Bruce Pritchard has a lot to do with modernizing the fame of this, the song. <laughs> yes. <laughs> with my baby tonight. Um did you, obviously you would have heard that song before Don't the rest you have of an entourage that gets me more coffee. You would think so, okay. right? I need to get the intern who you they're actually out there, out there chasing headlights <laughs> or something. Out That's there. right, street lights. That's right. Um, so uh, 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 you heard the song before we heard it with my baby tonight. What do you mean before? Yeah, of course, of course, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. What did you think the first time? Immediately, I did say that is a long country song. Right. It's, 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 it's when not. they played it at the Hall of Fame this year, I was like, I forgot how long this song yes. was. Non traditional, <laughs> choruses broke up. Yeah. Uh, the hook's great, but it is definitely not. I, immediately, I went, all righty. Mm-hmm. But um, just Brian's vocal ability. Now, when we were right up and down the car, I mean, I had no idea. It was a month in or what, you know, maybe a couple of car rides in. I'm like, Dad, come, this guy can sing. I mean, he can, he, to this day, he can sing really good. He's got a tone in his voice that, that is just unique, and he can sing anything he wants. But uh, I, I knew, I said, okay, this is going to be good. So the idea of the roadie singing, like the roadie character was not brought in to eventually sing. It was just, we have this roadie character. As it turns out, this they knew guy he can sing. sing. They, they knew he oh, could okay. sing. But, but yeah, I, I don't know how far. That may be a Vince McMahon question. Yeah. Immediately when he heard they could sing and, and how they put it everything together. But it wasn't much long after because he sang for him in his audition in Lowell, Mass. And that road dog. It wasn't Poughkeepsie, it was Lowell, Mass. But no, he sang uh, Man Mountain Rock. Had the yeah. guitar, the acoustic, uh-huh. uh, and and Brian did sing. Man, Man oh, Mountain Rock. There you go. Pull yeah, one out. Yeah, yeah. Max Payne. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, I I remember that that in your house too when when you performed that live because I'm sitting there watching my folks again. That was probably like '95, so it's probably July you know '95. Right, so I was probably like eleven, probably about eleven, twelve years old. And I'm watching with my mom, who's a big country music fan. And I go, "No, Jeff Jarrett's gonna sing. The music video is good. He can really sing." And we put, and you're, you know, you're performing the song, and she's like, "Oh, this actually is a good song." And she's watching it, and she looks at me, and she goes, "Sammy, he's lip syncing." And I went, "No, I don't, no. I don't think so." And my mom smartened me up to what was happening angle. way where's before she, anyone. Oh, where's she at? Uh, yeah, I know. It's like you don't tell. Kids. You're not supposed to. No, Easter Bunny, Santa Claus, and Jeff. Jeff Jarrett. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it's just double J. So after that is when the controversy starts to build because that's when you and the Road Dog leave. Yes. Kind of like at, it was it at that after that at that it, show that and that was what you know there there is uh, what a crazy night. Uh, but yeah, I did the performance right and the match. So that should have been, I, it's the Shawn Michaels match, it's a great match, and you're like, okay, that that's a lot of shine for Jeff Jarrett. To, out of a two hour and 40 minute show, right. me and Brian were like 45, almost almost an hour. It should have just been called In Your House Double J. <laughs> yeah. Like it was your show. Yes, in Nashville. In Nashville. Yes. And you guys walk off. Yeah. Why? You know, and, and that's something that when you hear Bruce's podcast, he leaves out, and I'm still going to leave it unsaid. There's one little detail 
that everybody glosses over. I, there was creative differences, mm-hmm. uh, they, without question. There was creative differences, but there was also uh, some other stuff going on uh, that I'll I'll leave um, personal. Not with me. Gotcha. Okay. So, but it, it did. Part of it was creative differences, right? And that was, meant losing the title. That meant not losing the title. Okay. Because if you'll recall, yeah, I did it up to there, right. I, I thought the video had just come out, mm-hmm. and I, I had voiced my opinion pretty loud, and I just said, man, we are pulling the rug on this very, very quick. Let this salivate more. I didn't think me and Brian should go right into gotcha. the storyline immediately. Gotcha. I, I definitely thought there was a lot more legs uh, on, on the situation because it was... And, you know, uh, hey, at the end of the day, it's it's his ball of wax. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the owner, and he can do exactly what he wants. Um, I just didn't have to join into that game and chose to, okay, sw- switch the title, and uh, I'm going to go home. Right, and you didn't even do the, the angle that was supposed to happen, right? That was supposed to be the— And, and, and from, a, I'll say, even in those days with my promoter hat on, mm-hmm. uh, why give him the angle to f- cause further confusion? The end of the story is Double J losing the belt to Sean— and let's move on down. Right. Because, and that's where a lot of history sometimes uh, gets overlooked or rewritten. Uh, Brian didn't have to leave that night if he didn't want to. Right. And that's what I was going to ask you about because it would seem to me, and you would know far better than me, but the only reason to do this so quickly is to transition Brian into a babyface as quickly as possible, get you out of the way, and have Brian singing his country songs and try to make some money off of this thing which i understand why for you you're like whoa like i this is a two this is my whole the whole wwe run was what? building to this point right yes and so to just blow it up so you can i get why you would not like that but i why just did, thought it's too soon right I just sure 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 sure. Too soon. Yeah, sure yeah 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 why did brian leave I'll, you ask him. Okay, I will at some point because it's just, even you as a kid, him. I'm going like, I, I don't know what happened because even when he did that thing where he turned around, he tripped the wrong guy, like you could see this tension, like I want to see a Rhodey versus Jeff Jarrett match. Yes. And I'm like, where'd they go? The match that never took place. It's amazing. <laughs> yes. It's amazing. Yes. Now, but to just walk off and leave, mm-hmm. it's a pretty unheard of thing to do there, correct? Especially mid mid-angle, mid-build. We were just talking about yes. how much was put into this character. Correct. To just be like, okay, well, I don't want to do that, so I'm leaving. Like, that's a big no-no. People don't do that. Correct. <laughs> what gave you the balls to do that? You know, and I don't ever look at it as, as, as the balls at all. It was, I appreciate the fact that um, that that you guys have a creative direction you want to go and i hope you appreciate the fact that i'm not willing to go down that road so you know the 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 lack of a better word is um i'm not walking out with the belt i'm not holding up anything i am gonna go um my separate way and um certainly uh you know um didn't hold a gun to Brian's head and mm-hmm. he left willingly as well. But you told him I'm going to leave and he's like okay yeah you're right. Yeah, oh well, he he, he, he knew completely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Were you surprised? Did you figure your WWE career was over at that point? Um not really. I mean not, I'll say over. No. It didn't seem so egregious to you. What do you mean? Meaning that, like, oh, no, this no, isn't no, the no. nail in the coffin no, here. No, this no, is, not, yeah, no. it's tense right now. It'll 
We'll get past this. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And you did. Remember, I've seen my dad hire and rehire Jimmy Valiant, Austin Idol, Dutch Mantel, (laughs) Bill Dundee, on and on and on. Well, that's probably part of it, too. You had that knowledge that a lot of guys your age at that point probably wouldn't have had. Yes. Right? Yeah, like you yeah, have, yeah. You have, you've you seen all these promoter talent. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you got the options of doing the angle, uh, not showing up at all, mm-hmm. everything in between. And I'm, you know, right or wrong, um, but, you know, I, I thought the, the win win, so to speak, is here's your title. Right. Uh, I'm going to go out and tear the house down. And, um, did you specifically go like, okay, if I'm going to walk out tonight, I'm going to make sure I have the best match that I've had in WWE? It's hard to have a bad match with Shawn Michaels. I guess that's true, too. I guess that's <laughs> but, true, and, too. And again, you know, we've, God, we'd worked together since 88. So so we knew, he again, he's, I don't think he has a peer, his longevity. I really don't. Yeah. Um, but I did know, you know, it's against Shawn. It's in Nashville. Um I knew what I was doing after the match. I made sure that, uh, and I was hyped up. I mean, I, 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 it goes without saying, the the performance side of things that was a blast. Mm-hmm. I loved doing that, and I, I was. It was in the back of my mind. I don't say in the back of my mind. One of the things I thought about that day is the people in Nashville. They're gonna they're gonna dig this. Yeah, they're, they're gonna like this perfor- live performance. Is there any part of you that after the match goes like you know you hear the bell ding ding ding, you go. Oh my God! Now I've actually got to do this thing that I was planning on doing, or was there no hesitation in terms of no hesitation? You knew what you were doing. That's sort of yeah, yeah. yeah. In my mind, I would would already. So you're back like six months later, yeah, more or less, right? Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. five six months, Uh, and it wasn't the same. Meaning, it just I I could tell when I got back, Ahmed Johnson. um, It was just a different temperament, right? There was tension. Yeah, just a little bit different temperament. And yeah, and I mean, and Bruce Pritchard has talked about the fact that even though Vince was ready to welcome me back, Bruce was not. No, that's what I'm saying. Is right that that, yeah, there there was definitely still some hurt feelings with with uh, uh, other personalities on the other side. That yeah, and I'm sure there's even some talent in the. Locker sure. room oh, it was like, yeah, who I does mean, this guy think he is type of thing? I'm sure. Right. I'm sure. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, so at that point, do you go like, okay, this might not work at this moment? Yeah, well, In your head, question. that's when oh, you start to question. realize, yeah, like, yeah, okay. I mean, and I can remember, God, consciously thinking, I don't care how much Pat Patterson, Vince McMahon like me. Uh, they're not on the road every day. They're not, th- you know, right. I mean, it, 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 you know, and that is, a, a, you know, as a, what was a 20-something-year-old kid, that was a learning experience for me right. again i came from you know you could you could more or less in in the territory days in in my father's promotion if you got along with lawler uh and maybe a booker but my father it, it worked you mm-hmm. didn't have to shake hands with every wrestler in the dressing room or you did but you know you you didn't have to sit down and break bread at, at the wwf at that time much 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 bigger machine so uh and i'll say this respectfully the bruces of the world um, you know, they were part of that stir that 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 straw that stirred the drink, and so I I could tell there was definitely uh, some still hurt feelings. So without I'm question, not, I'm not going to get to where I need to go in this but, moment uh, here. I, no, without question, right? Build value. I knew that enough at that stage of my career. Uh, my value uh, wasn't what uh, didn't think I could get to where I, I wanted to go. So after a couple months, you get injured, right? And then you end up sitting out the rest of the contract. Is that right? Yes, yes, yes. And and but you told them like I'm not. I'm injured now. I'm going to stay home, and I'm not coming back for the rest of the contract. Is that what? Yes. How it goes? Yes. And are they pissed? Are they like, what are you talking no, about? Or are they going I, I, like? I kind of think, and and that's a, you know what nobody's ever asked me this that, mm-hmm. that I can recall. It was I kind of think Vince 
and Pat and and I'll say my supporters were like, yeah, it's probably best to just chill. And the other was like, good riddance. Right. You know, one of those things. So, I didn't go down that path. Um, at that time, I was like 240, mm-hmm. um, and we got drug tested all the time. So, mm-hmm. But I, I was just carrying so much weight in my back, literally. And Brian used to laugh at me. like He said, you're walking crooked again. Yeah, I, I just, my L4 and L5, I knew in those rings, the WWF in the rings of those times, and not to, not that, you know. Bret Hart, you know, and, and Sean and, and Kevin, they they were stiff. They yeah. were stiff rings. Um, but I, my my back stayed in pain, and I said, I got to get well. Yeah, and so that's what you did. Yes. And you ended up going over to WCW. Yep. So there's no hurt feelings when you go to WCW because it's almost like one of these things where, yeah, you, either we don't like you because of the last thing or – yeah, go over go. to WCW, go do something, go freshen yourself up. Or, or just go. Right. Yeah, I don't want to say anybody. Yeah, it was, I'm, I'm going to work at Turner. Hey, Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast listeners. This is Wade Keller for Pro Wrestling Torch. You might have heard me on Sam's show. If you enjoy our conversations on pro wrestling, be sure to check out my shows. They drop four times per week. We have two shows early in the week, the post shows following Raw and SmackDown. We talk to an on-site correspondent about things that did not air in crowd reaction and also have a co-host, live callers, and a mailbag segment. And then later in the week, my two shows on Podcast One are the Thursday Flagship and Interview Friday. Just search Wade Keller in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or anywhere else you listen to Pro Wrestling Podcast. That's Wade Keller. Subscribe to both the red logo and the blue logo. Here is Sam Roberts. Oh, such a good time with Jeff Jarrett. It was a thrill to have Double J in the Not Sam studio. And I mean, so much. I think probably my favorite stuff, the most interesting stuff to me is kind of getting into his head when, about leaving WWE for the first time. Uh, it's just such a, a, a kind of a crazy move. The fact that he came back and he kind of knew that, uh-oh, I don't know, uh, things are apparently not going in my favor anymore over here. But just the idea that it, as young as he was, that he would just walk out, it's kind of its kind of incredible and unheard of. Uh, we've got so much more. Wait till you hear next week because there's so much more to cover with Double J. So next week we're going to get into his first run in WCW the year that he went over there and wrestled guys like uh, Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko and, of course, Steve Mongo McMichael. There was a big storyline with him, uh, whether he was going to go to the NWO or the Four Horsemen, all that stuff uh, will be dealt with next week, as well as his return to WWE, uh, coming out with that shoot promo, then going into the NWA, um, coming up with uh, Don't Don't Piss Me Off, um, uh, the tag team with Owen Hart, dealing with Owen. Dealing with Owen's death, you know, not only the good times, but also, you know, what ended up happening Uh, and so much more, a lot to cover. And of course, you know, the controversial way in which he left WWE for that final time. And we'll talk about uh, the on-screen firing that happened on the last episode of WCW Monday Nitro uh, from Vince McMahon. A lot to talk about, and we'll continue that amazing conversation next week on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, a.k.a. Not Sam Wrestling. Uh, I'm getting ready for my trip to Chicago. Uh, It's going to be a good weekend. It's going to be a good weekend of wrestling. You got TakeOver Chicago. Of course, by the way, in the state of wrestling, we got a lot to cover. First, we're going to do a recap of what went down at uh, Dominion, the New Japan pay-per-view, which we didn't really preview last week, but that's because I didn't know enough about it to really preview it. But, of course, I watched it, and I give you my take on that. But we're also going to preview TakeOver Chicago, NXT, as well as Money in the Bank 
coming up in the state of wrestling. Uh, and I will be on the kickoff show for Money in the Bank. I will also be on the panel alongside Pat McAfee and Charlie Caruso. The triple threat from TakeOver New Orleans will return for TakeOver Chicago uh, as we break down what happens. Uh, I think uh, we go live at uh, 7.30 Eastern on the WWE Network. It's going to be a good TakeOver. I love I love doing the NXT pre-shows. I love doing all the pre-shows. I mean, it's a dream come true being there. But it, it's just... It's fun to be a part of what's going on in NXT now. And and if you watch, if you've been watching, I would recommend spend what's left of the week before you watch TakeOver catching up on NXT TV. Very, very easy to do because they're digestible one-hour episodes. But binge if you have to. But the TV has just been so good. The, the, the build-up to some of these matches, it's just, it's, it's really a lot of fun right now in NXT. And I can't wait to break it all down with Pat McAfee and Charlie Caruso. Uh, as well as, I believe I'll be uh, a, a, a roving reporter at Money in the Bank. Let's just hope there's no WrestleMania-esque disasters for me happening. Action uh, when we get to Money in the Bank this Sunday in Chicago. Uh, but we'll preview both of those events coming up in the State of Wrestling. Now, with so much going on, there is one thing that I won't have time to cover in State of Wrestling that I wanted to take a moment to talk about now. And no, it's not Robbie E., it's the fact that I was kind of, not that I was blown away because I've always been a fan, but I just had this realization as I was watching SmackDown this week that we really need to spend some time paying attention to the Iconics, to uh, uh, to Billy Kay and Peyton Royce, because Billy Kay and Peyton Royce are just MVPs of what they're doing. Some people are annoyed by them, but I, I think it's just in a in a bad guy character sort of way. Because I think most of you guys would agree with me in the sense that they're one of the most entertaining duos on WWE TV right now. And in terms of athletes, sports entertainers, superstars that have a grasp on what their character is, it is hard to argue that Billy Kay and Peyton Royce are not amongst the best. I mean, just instantly. They go on TV, they they feel comfortable in their roles, and quite frankly, their roles are not the most comfortable roles. To go out there in front of an audience, the SmackDown audience specifically, who really has only had limited exposure to you. Let's keep in mind, the Iconics have only been on SmackDown TV for a very limited amount of time, right? They, their history is with NXT, but to go out in front of a SmackDown audience that has had limited exposure to you, and to do what these women do, the ridiculous parodies, the bad accents, the making fun of people, teasing people. It only works because of the level to which they commit. Most other people attempting this would fail, and it would come across as really, really awkward. But because the Iconics commit to their characters as much as they do, it comes across so well to me. I mean, I, I, I just think that they are endlessly entertaining um, and, and something that I look forward to. When that music kicks on, I get excited. I get happy because I know we're in for an entertaining moment. So we should take a moment to give those two credit. And in a world in which I feel like we point out every single time somebody comes up from the NXT roster that does not pan out, you know, it's very well documented. Whenever anybody does well in NXT and then doesn't do well on the main roster... 
we kind of bring up the fact that, oh, main roster kills NXT guys, and oh, this guy's good in NXT, but that doesn't mean anything because all the NXT guys and, and, and girls get chewed up on the main roster, and we should also take note when an act from NXT is really, really, really working on the main roster. And right now, Billy Kay and Peyton Royce fall into that 100%. You know, I think that their their careers on SmackDown and on Raw on the main roster are just getting started. And I think we're just barely scratching the surface of what those two are capable of. You know, I mean, I, I it's just endlessly entertaining and it's something that I like I stop I stop when they come out I stop and say okay I want to watch this I want to see what they've got for us this week and it's always something funny it's always something entertaining so uh yeah kudos to them uh but we're not here to give out kudos we're here to talk about wrestling and the place to do that is in the state of wrestling which starts right now it's now time for this week's state of wrestling Yes, it is time for this week's State of Wrestling. You know what that means. It's time to break down the top five stories as I see them here on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Don't forget, we do this live on Facebook when we do it. That's every Wednesday afternoon or evening sometimes. So friend us on Facebook, like the page, facebook.com slash notsam, and you'll get notified whenever I go live. That way you'll know when we're doing the live state of wrestling, okay? You'll be able to watch along. You'll be able to send in comments. But let's get to it. The top five stories of the week. And we start with a story that was left off last week. And that's really because I didn't really know enough to preview it. And I didn't want to fake the funk. Because that's something we don't do here on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Here on Not Sam Wrestling, we do not fake the funk. However, now I know a little bit more and can discuss it. The first story, the number five story of the week is New Japan Pro Wrestling's Dominion event. It went down uh, over the weekend, and uh, it was certainly newsworthy. I mean, that's a that's a huge understatement. These big New Japan shows are always fun. You know, New Japan shows up, their roster shows up. They always have like, you know, I mean, it must be really interesting to be on the New Japan roster right now because... It's just so tough to break through. You know, when you've got Kenny Omega and Okada, when you've got everybody in the elite and the Bullet Club, when you've got, uh, you know, Los Ingobernables. Ingobernables, I think so. When you've got, every, you know, Jericho now over there. I mean, it's got to be tough for some of these guys to break through. And I always think that as I'm watching the undercard. Like, how do you measure up to guys that are some of the most newsworthy wrestlers in the world? Some of the most charismatic wrestlers in the world some arguably the best wrestlers in the world and they're all on this card it's really really interesting and uh well this weekend was not an exception to that rule first of all i think zach saber jr and suzuki are minoru suzuki are like perfect as a tag team together just because they they're real they feel like real wrestlers like both those guys if they got their hands on you, Zack Sabre Jr. and Suzuki, you'd be in such grave danger, I feel like. They just, I just feel like that is a team that I never saw together, meaning like in my head, I never thought to myself, yeah, those two should team up. But once they started teaming up together, I was like, yeah, that's an, it's just such a natural fit that never occurred to me. And I love seeing teams that are like that. Um, speaking of teams, first of all, let's talk about the championships. 
I mean, New Japan Pro Wrestling, all these IWGP championships are now being held by Guy Gene. You got the Young Bucks winning the Tag Team Championships. You have Chris Jericho winning the Intercontinental Championship. You got Kenny Omega winning the Heavyweight Championship. All non-Japanese talent, and clearly, this is all working towards something. You know, I think the best thing that Chris Jericho can do, it's interesting, Kenny Omega and the Elite have reunited, right? So the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega and all of them are all on the same team again. So it wasn't this sort of big breakup that we thought it might be. But I think it did, that period of time, did do well for Kenny Omega in the sense that it allowed him to kind of grow as a talent outside of the Bullet Club, outside of the Elite. And even though it was only a few months, it kind of just reminded everybody that whether he's got the Elite colors on him, whether he's got the Bullet Club colors on him, Kenny Omega is like a massive, massive star. So uh, I still think it was important. I'm kind of surprised that it seems like it's over already. You know, I thought it would be kind of a bigger deal, but, you know, who knows. Um, But I I, I would think that putting all the major championships on non-Japanese talent is specific and is something that New Japan is doing on purpose. Uh, I don't think that Chris Jericho should come anywhere near the Bullet Club. And I don't think he will. You know, based on interviews that he's done since or, or that have come out in the last week or so, where he talks about how he views himself, how he views his value, all of that stuff. Um, I don't see Jericho joining the Bullet Club only because I think he wants the spotlight to be on him and justifiably so. I think Jericho is sitting there going, you know, this is this is me. This is my show. This is this is where the attention should be, you know? Not me as part of something else. And I think that that's actually the best way to protect Jericho as an investment and to protect the investment that New Japan has made in Jericho. Uh, you know, I I certainly if I'm Jericho wouldn't even consider it, but it is still worth noting that he's one of this non... He's not in the Bullet Club, but he's one of the uh, non-Japanese competitors that is now holding all these major championships for the IWGP. Oh, and of course, the United States Championship is, of course, being held by uh, a non-Japanese superstar. Uh, I guess wrestler, since it's New Japan. So um, I don't know where that goes. It's not just Bullet Club anymore, though. It's interesting because that is kind of what the Bullet Club was based on, this sort of foreign heel faction. And now all the foreigners have titles, but some are Bullet Club, some are not. It'll be interesting to see what New Japan does with it. Uh, we can go over a few of the matches. Um, you know, I, I... And I talked about this last time New Japan had a big show. I'm as big a Takahashi fan as you could get. I think... I don't know. There's just something about his charisma the way he connects with the audience and his style is so unique that I, and he's young that I feel like Takahashi is a guy that WWE should be taking a long, hard look at. I think Takahashi is a guy who could do some really cool stuff in NXT. You know, he's not one of these guys. So many, uh, you know, Japanese competitors end up coming over and it's about them in the ring. Whereas Takahashi brings so much entertainment along with that. I just feel like he would prosper at least in an NXT ring to start out with, but I don't see why a WWE ring wouldn't be soon to follow. Uh, but he had a great match with Will Ospreay. Um, the Young Bucks, I thought, were really, really interesting at Dominion because the Young Bucks didn't wrestle in the, sty- in, in the style that they've been wrestling in 
in the last several months. You know, it wasn't quite as on the nose. It wasn't quite as uh, uh, meta, if that's the right term for it. It was more like a reminder of who the Young Bucks are. I think the, the Young Bucks specifically wanted people tuning into Dominion to be reminded of how they got to where they are, right? Of, of, of why they're so good. Uh, and that's what they did. I mean, it really reminded me of a younger Young Bucks, to tell you the truth. It wasn't so much about putting on a show as it was about reminding them, reminding the audience, reminding us that they're great wrestlers. So I was surprised that they won the tag team championship, but um, in a good way, you know, because I think, I think again, it was like, okay, you know, it was almost as if they had been saying, we don't want you to be so entertained by us that you forget how much we bring to the table. That's the vibe that I got. Um, and so I thought, and I, and I thought that it translated well. I thought it came through. I was talking about, you know, finding a way to shine on that roster. And I think Rey Mysterio might have been a victim of that. I feel like with the right amount of promotion and the right storyline behind him, Rey Mysterio, especially at this phase in his career, showing up in a New Japan ring can be along the lines in terms of storytelling of a Chris Jericho, of a Cody Rhodes. Like it is a, it is a big deal. To learn that Rey Mysterio is going to be on this New Japan show, especially he made a surprise return at the Royal Rumble. Now, six months later, he's in New Japan. There's talks about him coming back to WWE at any moment, but it's not finalized. It's like, you know, he's in this moment in his career, I think a lot of people might have thought he was done, and he's really, really not. And I don't know how well that was utilized. Juice and Thunder Liger is interesting because he's one of those guys where it's always fun to see him. But he's not like, you're not looking at Jushin Thunder Liger going like, yeah, this guy's a threat to the main event scene. You know, Jushin Thunder Liger is not a threat to the Bullet Club. It's just he's a legend and it's always cool to see him. So I almost feel like putting Rey Mysterio on that team with Jushin Thunder Liger was a tip to the hat. Instead of Rey Mysterio being like, oh my God, he's here and and he's going to make an impact. And this is Rey Mysterio, the star it was almost like you were treating Rey Mysterio like he was on the legend circuit, you know, and, and this was sort of a novelty, which I don't think it had to be. You know, I think Rey has got enough in the tank that he doesn't, he, I don't think it's, it's quite time to treat Rey Mysterio like a novelty yet. And so that's the way I thought, you know, I, I thought it was pretty obvious that you can't have Cody Rhodes, Hangman Page, and Marty Skrull lose that match because they're just such important characters in New Japan, but I did feel like Rey Mysterio was out of place, and maybe I just have too much reverence for Rey Mysterio, but I felt like he was a little out of place in that match. I don't think that that was the spot for him. Uh, I loved what Chris Jericho did. I love how mean he is in New Japan. I love the makeup. I truly think that the reason for the makeup and the lipstick on Chris Jericho is because when he did that run-in recently, and he was wearing the mask... And he pulled the mask off, but there was still all that paint like rubbed on him because, you know, there was there was face paint under the mask to color in the dark spots. Uh, I think that he just liked that look so much, especially when it started to get rubbed off and stuff, that he wanted that. And it is a cool look, you know, for this version of Chris Jericho to kind of have like, you know, kind of dark makeup on his lips and eyes rubbed off after a hard-fought match. Is a, I think is is the right look 
for this version of Chris Jericho. You know, he's completely departed. I felt like the Jericho that we saw against Omega still had hints of the last Chris Jericho that we saw in WWE. Still had hints of Chris Jericho with the list Chris Jericho. The Chris Jericho that we saw against Naito at Dominion had no traces of the list. That was a totally different, that was a much meaner, uh, scarier Chris Jericho. And and I think it was fitting. I was surprised that he won the IWGP Intercontinental title for a couple of reasons. Number one, you know, he's talking about how he's not wrestling unless it's for six figures. So you would have to think that it's going to cost New Japan Pro Wrestling a lot of money to have the IWGP Intercontinental Championship defended with any kind of regularity. Uh, unless they do it Lesnar style, which, you know, I, I, I don't know. There's enough people critical of Lesnar doing it. So I don't know uh, if that's the best move for New Japan. But they do have enough titles that you can splice it in. I just, I think... I think putting the title on Jericho would lead us to believe that we're going to have more Jericho matches, which is a surprise because, you know, up until this match was announced, it wouldn't have shocked anybody to find out it was a one-off with Omega. But you never can tell with Chris Jericho. He's a consummate uh, professional wrestler. You know, he's always working in a good way. Um, So I would assume that he's going to be in New Japan for a little bit longer and he's going to be defending this title. Uh, but another reason why I was surprised that he won the title was because the commentators at the beginning of the match said that this was a non-title match. So when they announced that, you know, because Naito left the championship at the top of the entrance ramp. So when Jericho was announced as champion, I was surprised because I didn't know this match was for the title. But apparently it was. Now, I think taking the Intercontinental title off Naito was a good thing. You know, I think Naito is as big a star as you can get in New Japan. And I do feel like he shouldn't have championships distracting from him right now. If he's going to go for a championship, it should be the IWGP Heavyweight Championship and Kenny Omega. If he's not fighting for the number one spot, he shouldn't have a title, I don't think. You know, because I think think he needs to be in the conversation for next champion of the world. And if he's the Intercontinental Champion, it kind of takes him out of that conversation, at least temporarily. So I'm all for him losing the title. I'm just interested to see what they do with Jericho keeping it. Uh, And then, of course, you have the uh, hour plus two out of three falls. I see uh, Danny says Jericho is dressed like somebody who hates his father and gets shoved into lockers at school. Yeah, but somebody I wouldn't want to mess with. Looks scary to me. Uh, two out of three falls, one hour plus, Omega versus Okada, four, for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. Of course, you know, I, I assumed Okada was walking out of this again as IWGP champion. Uh, what I really loved about this, and it, it's a pet peeve of mine, I hate in two out of three falls matches when... The falls are easier. For some reason, it is always easier to get the first fall in a two out of three falls match than it would be to just win a match, if that makes sense. You know, somehow they always get an easy fall in the beginning, even the second fall usually. By the time you hit the third fall, you've been wrestling just as long and you're working just as hard as you would have if it were just a one fall to a finish match. So that's always bothered me because in order to buy into this idea of two out of three falls... I don't think I, I I think having easy falls, which you do every time, takes away from the premise. I think a, a good two out of three falls match 
needs to be over an hour. It needs to feel like three different matches. And each fall should get a little bit easier, theoretically, because your opponent should be worn down more. But you, as a super, as, as, as the wrestler, are also worn down more because you've had to exert all the energy to get the first fall in. So, you know, I, I think that a lot of two out of three falls matches are lacking in psychology. And this one wasn't. This one wasn't at all. You know, it was phenomenal. If not the best of the four, the second best, right? It was probably for me in the top two of the four uh, Okada versus Omega matches. Uh, surprised again to see Omega win the championship, but not surprised that this match was as good as it was because this is as good as it gets. And and you almost hope. So Omega's contract is up in January of 2019. I really hope that he comes to his senses and heads to Stanford. I really hope WWE and him can come to terms because, you know, he doesn't have that much longer on his career. You know, he's not, he's not the youngest guy. He's not an old guy, but he doesn't have, you know, 15 years. He doesn't have 10 years, maybe. He might have 10, but not wrestling at this level. He's got a couple years, maybe, left in him. And, you know, I, I would like to see what Kenny Omega looks like in a WWE ring. I think it's important for all of us that we see what Kenny Omega looks like in a WWE ring. So hopefully that happens. Um, and if it does, I do hope his last match is against Okada. I, I would love to see the fifth one. as long as long But it has to be the last match in New Japan for Kenny Omega. And that's how he loses. You know, because really, who is a more fitting opponent for Kenny Omega than having a fifth Okada match if he's going to lose to somebody to leave New Japan? If he's staying in New Japan, then, you know, let this rest for a while. But if he's not having one more Wrestle Kingdom match, I wouldn't be against it. Especially because it seems like this is the this is the best match in wrestling that you can put on right now. So, uh, I just think it was great. I just think it was great. Why can't Omega be to New Japan like Sting was to WCW? Um, well, I I think that any fan would say that Sting not coming to WWE earlier is a disappointment. You know, I think in the conversation with Sting, whenever you talk about Sting, you talk about all the great matches he had. You talk about all the WCW stuff. You talk about the angle with the NWO. You talk about the Clash of the Champions match with Ric Flair. You talk about carrying the company when really there wasn't much to carry and he kept it afloat. You know, you, you can talk about all this stuff. But the con- one of the first conversations you have about Sting's career is, and he never got that match with The Undertaker. Could Kenny Omega beat in New Japan what Sting was to WCW? Yeah. But if he is, every time we talk about Kenny Omega, it'll be, I wonder what it would have been like if he were in WWE. And on some level, Kenny Omega knows that. And I think on some level, all of us know that. Because, I mean, that's why Jeff Jarrett was on the podcast this week. Because it's so fascinating that he's the only guy that until the Hall of Fame hadn't been back in WWE since WWE took over WCW. You know? And luckily, he was there before. Because anybody that's a major, major star and that could be really good in WWE that doesn't end up in WWE, that's the question that you ask about those careers. Non-wrestling fans are going to sit there like, oh, is he a WWE guy? 
you know, when those uh, Kenny Omega and Young Bucks pops come out, it's going to be like, are these guys in WWE? I don't recognize them. It just is what it is. It's, and, it, and it's becoming more that way, not less that way. You know, the WWE is taking more of a, of a, of a, a prominent role in what is, especially in America, pro wrestling, but globally too. So, you know, I, I think it's, I, I think we have to realize that should Omega not go to WWE, there will always be a question. I wonder how he would have been in WWE. And I don't think that that's something that you want. You know, as a guy, you think about your career, you don't want that to be one of the main questions of your career. I don't think so. Um, let's go to story number four. Story number four is Brock Lesnar and the fact that he has surpassed CM Punk's, I'm putting in air quotations, record of WWE champion. Uh, he, I think it was announced on Monday or Tuesday or something, 435 days. So we're probably somewhere in the 440 range of how many days Brock Lesnar has had that championship. Of course, Brock Lesnar won the title at WrestleMania 33 against Goldberg, held it all the way through WrestleMania 34 when he beat Roman Reigns and has held it since. He's only had, like, I saw the statistics. I think CM Punk had a couple hundred title defenses. Brock Lesnar's had 10. You know, there's no comparing. But this is what I don't understand. I mean, you can, and and some people say, is the reason that Brock Lesnar got a contract extension and the reason that the title was left on him past WrestleMania and the greatest Royal Rumble, is that reason because they want... CM Punk's record to be beaten. That's about as petty as it gets. I don't think that the WWE cares on that level about these records being beaten. But at the same time, Brock Lesnar did not beat CM Punk's record. CM Punk made that record holding the WWE Championship. Before Brock Lesnar... The longest-running Universal Champion was Kevin Owens. There haven't been. It's been. Uh, I mean, who's been the Universal Champion? Finn Balor was the first. Remember that? Finn Balor was the first. Then, what? Kevin Owens got it. After Kevin Owens, it went to Brock Lesnar, then to Goldberg, then to Brock Lesnar. I mean, the Universal Championship is only... It's two years old this August. Or three. Is it three? It might be three years old this August. You know, you can't... You can't just say because it's the number one title on Raw that it beats a record of a different title. It'd be one thing if it replaced that title. But the title that CM Punk held is around AJ Styles' waist. The WWE Championship is still in play. So I don't know, unless you're just saying it's a world championship, but it's not a world championship. It's a championship of the universe. And there haven't been that many champions of the universe before. So maybe I'm nitpicking, but I have a serious issue with these claims that Brock Lesnar beat this record for being the WWE champion. Brock Lesnar's not the WWE champion. AJ Styles is the WWE champion. Brock Lesnar is the universal champion. Brock Lesnar set the record for longest running universal champion months ago. Months ago. So I don't know when we all decided that the universal championship is the same thing as the WWE championship. Because it's clearly not. Both titles are in play. I, I, I It doesn't make sense. It says, uh, Chris says, yeah, uh, uh, 
CM Punk didn't have a record. Bruno Hulk, etc., were all longer. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that CM Punk didn't have a record. I didn't say that CM Punk was the longest running champion of all time. But whatever the record was, whether he was fourth longest or third longest or whatever it was, he that's a record. He had that record. And Brock Lesnar beat that record. Brock Lesnar moved up on the list and he moved CM Punk down the list. But guess what? Hulk Hogan wasn't universal champion. Bruno San Martino wasn't universal champion. You can't just introduce a title and then give it the history of a different title that's already in play. If Brock Lesnar is the longest running WWE champion, you know, in the last however many years, what has AJ Styles got around his waist? What is holding up AJ Styles' pants? It's not a belt. It's a championship. But what championship is it? If the universal championship is the one that's making all these records. Makes no sense to me. I don't like it. And maybe I'm being a stickler, but I don't like it. Um, let's see. That's story number four. Just because everybody made such a big deal out of it. It was on WWE.com. It was on WWE's YouTube channel. But it doesn't make sense. It's not true. It's weird. And maybe they do care more about the records than I think they do. Maybe they do want that out there. I don't know. Um, maybe they want to go like, look, he may have won a lawsuit, but Brock Lesnar's held that title longer than he did. CM Punk should be like, I held that title for zero days. It's a universal championship. Wasn't even, I left before it arrived. Uh, story number three centers around Madison Square Garden. Now, first there were rumors that AAA was going to run Madison Square Garden this week. Then, within the last day or two, new rumors have popped up that Ring of Honor is booking Madison Square Garden. WWE uh, has had a stronghold on Madison Square Garden for decades at this point. You know, I remember as a kid in the early 90s, knowing that WCW could not run. I think WCW might have run the theater at Madison Square Garden once. I know that they ran Long Island, the Nassau Coliseum, a couple times, but WWE had a deal with Madison Square Garden that would not allow their competitors to run shows. But over the years, I guess the rent has become astronomical at Madison Square Garden, and they're now charging a whole bunch more money uh, to tape TV at Madison Square Garden. So, already Barclays Center had to deal with SummerSlam, right? Last three or four SummerSlams, however long it's been, the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, which is a subway ride away from Madison Square Garden, gets SummerSlam and Raw and SmackDown and TakeOver. Okay, but that's always been Brooklyn. When WrestleMania 29 happened at MetLife Stadium, Madison Square Garden got the Hall of Fame. There was no NXT TakeOver. And uh, I believe the Meadowlands got access. Uh, this year, coming up for WrestleMania 35, when WrestleMania is back at MetLife Stadium, the Barclays Center in Brooklyn is the one that's getting TakeOver and Hall of Fame, and I would imagine Raw and SmackDown as well. Madison Square Garden is getting nothing, and they're not getting access, nothing. Madison Square Garden is getting nothing from WWE for next year's WrestleMania weekend. So apparently... This has left Madison Square Garden quite cross and they're doing away with the deal and there's going to be new promotions allowed at Madison Square Garden. Now, this would have been a much bigger threat to WWE if it had happened, you know, years ago when there was real competition. If this had happened when WCW was still around, then okay. But, you know, I 
look, it said Ring of Honor is going to run a show at Madison Square Garden. I think if Ring of Honor, I don't think Ring of Honor as we know it can run a show at Madison Square Garden. You know, I think if a show at Madison Square Garden runs, it would have to be all in too. Madison Square Garden is a 20,000 seater. Like the goal of all in was to get 10,000. Do I think another all in show could get 20,000? Sure, why not? The question is, is WrestleMania weekend the time to do it? Because now there are heavy rumors that Ring of Honor and or All In Part 2 may run Madison Square Garden WrestleMania weekend in competition with WWE. And Madison Square Garden would be all about this because WWE ignored them, I suppose. Um, There's two schools of thought. Now, clearly, if you're going to have a stadium full of people at Madison Square Garden, in New York for WrestleMania 35... Yeah, 35. Um, You're going to have a lot of leftover people, right? MetLife Stadium is going to hold like 80,000 people or something. The Barclays Center, I think, can do somewhere in the neighborhood of 16,000. So theoretically, everybody's there on Saturday. There are plenty of people who are wrestling fans that want to go see something that are not going to be able to get tickets to take over, theoretically. So can, are there 20,000 wrestling fans in New York WrestleMania weekend to go to a show? Of course. Yes, there are. Can you convince them to? Maybe. Maybe. You know, I, I'm interested to see it. I, I think competition is really, really good for wrestling. Uh, but I don't think that there's any one promotion. I don't think AAA can do 20,000. I don't think Ring of Honor by itself can do 20,000. Certainly not Impact. They can't do 20,000. Um... I don't think New Japan could do 20,000, but if you had all these groups coming together, all in two, if you brought together the best of the best of the best and got to handpick from all these different organizations, you might be able to put together a show with that could fit 20,000 people. If you could sell 10,000 in 30 minutes, it's not crazy to think that Madison Square Garden is out of the realm of possibility, but I'm anxious. I'm anxious to see what happens at Madison Square Garden. It's so expensive, says George, to run the garden. The ticket prices will be high, which will make it very hard to sell out. That's right. That's right. Um, you know, that's the issue WWE is having. If WWE doesn't want to pay for Madison Square Garden, I don't know what these other promotions think that they're going to be able to do. But I'm still interested. And and, and it's, it's, it's a good move for another promotion to do it just because there's a, a cachet that comes with Madison Square Garden. You know, there's a notoriety to it that is worth doing. So it'll be very, very interesting to see what happens. All right, let's talk about Chicago. Let's talk about this weekend. Story number two is NXT TakeOver Chicago. This Saturday night, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern, I'll be on the kickoff show at 7.30 Eastern on the WWE Network. NXT TakeOver Chicago. Of course, the last TakeOver Chicago um, was the night that Tommaso Ciampa turned on Johnny Gargano in what has set up a year-long build that culminated at the last takeover. You know, I, I don't think that you have any choice but to put Ciampa and Gargano on last. I think anything besides that is a mistake. I think, you know, Tommaso Ciampa and Johnny Gargano are right now NXT's answer to Kenny Omega versus Okada. Like, that's the match to see. This is a no-holds-barred match. Uh... The last one was a non-sanctioned match, you know, so I don't know exactly if there's any difference there. I hope for their sake that they don't kill each other the way they did the last time because I don't see how a human body could go through two of those things 
that happened to those two guys uh, the last time. But, you know, I, I think that the pressure's on to one-up the last match. And the pressure is especially on Johnny Gargano because let's really break it down. This is the third takeover of the year. First takeover was before Royal Rumble. That was Gargano versus Almas. And Gargano versus Almas was like match of the year worthy. The next takeover was in New Orleans. That was WrestleMania. That was Gargano versus Ciampa to close the show. And that match was match of the year worthy. That match was better than Gargano versus Almas. That was the one that left people in the locker room going like, let's just call him Johnny last match. Let's call him Johnny main event. Because Johnny Gargano is that good. Now, you got Gargano versus Ciampa too. No holds barred. You got Gargano who's like one of the top, the top bad guy in NXT. You know, and, and I hope he stays there for a little while. And Gargano who is Johnny Wrestling and has lived up to that name 100%. Now it's even more personal. Hands have been placed on Gargano's wife. The families are involved. It's very, very messy. But I don't see how this match doesn't end the night. Um, And honestly, I think before long we will see Gargano on the main roster. I don't see Gargano ever being the NXT champion. I think he will. I don't think he's going to be in NXT that much longer. I just don't see him. I think Aleister Black is the good guy NXT champion that they're looking at right now. I think Tommaso Ciampa will beat Johnny Gargano at TakeOver in Chicago. I think Ciampa will win. I don't know if it, it may not be the end of that rivalry. You know, we could see it again in Brooklyn in August, and I don't think anybody will complain. But I think Ciampa will beat Gargano in Chicago, I would have Ciampa beat Gargano in Chicago um, because I think that we need to be reminded of what Ciampa is capable of. We need Ciampa needs the victory now. Gargano got his. Gargano got his sweet, sweet revenge. Now we've got to be reminded how ruthless Ciampa is. Ciampa is so good in the role that he's in. He reminds me of a bad guy, Jake the Snake Roberts, in his rivalry with Macho Man Randy Savage, where you really thought he was going to put hands on Elizabeth. At one point, I think he did, you know, where he was bringing Macho Man's family into it, where, I mean, it was as personal as rivalries get. He's just a bad guy. That's what this version of Tommaso Ciampa feels like to me, and I think we need to be reminded how bad he is and how dangerous he is. And I think that that can happen if he beats Gargano. If it's up to me, Ciampa leaves Chicago uh, the victor. And I think that you put that match on last. I don't see how you could not. Uh, you got the Undisputed Era defending the Tag Team Championship against uh, Oni Lorcan and Danny Burch. Uh, I love the Oni Lorcan-Danny Burch team. Uh, I think it works. But I think that this one is going to be all Undisputed Era. You know, I, I don't think that... I don't think it would make sense otherwise. The United States Championship, by the way, not on the line. This is Kyle O'Reilly versus Roderick Strong. And as of now, Adam Cole is not on this card, which is interesting. I'm sure he's going to be at ringside with the other guys, but maybe that's because he got two matches at the last pay-per-view. I don't know. Uh, the NXT Women's Championship is Shayna Baszler versus Nikki Cross. I think Nikki Cross is the perfect opponent for Shayna Baszler because otherwise we run the risk of seeing repeat storylines. You know, we, we saw her go through Ember Moon which is a big deal, right? Huge, huge deal. 
She went through Ember Moon, and she's been nothing but dominant since then. We saw how she treated Dakota Kai on NXT TV. She's just been running through the roster. So you need somebody kind of crazy and unpredictable. You need somebody, because Shayna Baszler plays those, those bullying mind games, right? And Nikki Cross won't, like she doesn't know what to make of Nikki Cross. She's never encountered anybody like Nikki Cross before. So I think that it's the right match, uh, but I think, I think Shayna Baszler walks out uh, retaining the NXT Women's Championship for sure. You've got, uh, of course, Aleister Black and Lars Sullivan for the NXT Championship. Lars Sullivan is an interesting choice, but I'll tell you, after the ladder match at the last takeover, a lot of people left with a different respect for Lars Sullivan. A lot of people came up to me and he became their favorite wrestler all of a sudden. Lars Sullivan at the last takeover showed up and introduced himself to the world. And uh, I, I think that just physically, he's so impressive that I think it's really cool to see him in this position. I don't think he's going to win the NXT Championship. I think that that stays on Aleister Black for a while, but I think it's a cool match. The match that I'm probably looking forward to the most and the match that I think, even with the uh, 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 gargano Champa match, even with that match, I think the match that's going to steal the show is Velveteen Dream versus Ricochet. The build for Velveteen Dream versus Ricochet has been absolutely perfect. Velveteen Dream just continues to improve and improve and improve. Uh, Ricochet has been, he's been really good on his promos actually on NXT TV. Ricochet has really come into his own. I think Ricochet is a guy that people weren't sure whether or not he would be able to be a WWE superstar. And I kind of thought he would end up over on 205 Live, but he's not. And and I, I believe he's making a lot of new fans regularly on NXT TV. I think he's been really good. You know, we got a taste of him. Some of the stuff he was doing in that ladder match, again, all six of those guys looked like a million bucks in that ladder match. But the stuff he was doing in that ladder match opened everybody's eyes who didn't know who he was to who he is. And, you know, the mic work's been good. He feels relevant. He feels young. He feels cool. And the stuff when he did that flip over the rope and land on the ramp and just kept walking up to Velveteen Dream, I, I just think that it's going to be an incredible match. I think it's going to be really, 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 really good. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And then the number one story of the week... Money in the Bank goes down this weekend, Sunday. I'll be a part of the kickoff show. And uh, we've got 10 matches, including one that is going to be on the kickoff show. The kickoff show match is the SmackDown Tag Team Championship match. It's the Bludgeon Brothers versus Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson. Now, there have been tweets sent out. Uh, Luke Harper asking Carl Anderson's hot Asian wife is going to be there. Carl Anderson said she is not. I think that, that she is not... I think that that's a good idea uh, because I wouldn't want my wife to see me in the ring with the Bludgeon Brothers. Look, unfortunately, I don't think the Good Brothers are going to come out on top in this one, but Carl Anderson's abs are going to look incredible, okay? The dude's in good shape. He's going to get to show off that body. The Bludgeon Brothers are leaving with the titles, but Carl Anderson's going to look good in the meantime. So what are we really complaining about, huh? You've got uh, Daniel Bryan, of course, versus Big Cass. And much like the uh, Gargano-Ciampa match, although I don't think this match will be as good as the Gargano-Ciampa match, I believe that this is a match that you have to establish Big Cass in. And 
based on the build for it, I don't think they're done with it. I think that this Daniel Bryan Big Cass feud will continue through Extreme Rules. I think Big Cass will beat Daniel Bryan. I think Daniel Bryan's first defeat, I believe it's his first defeat, unless he's lost by disqualification. I don't think he's been pinned since he came back. I might be wrong. I'm just thinking of it right now. But I believe his, his he will lose to Big Cass at, at Money in the Bank. I don't think Daniel Bryan's going to win that match. Uh, and I think he'll recover. I don't think he's going to get buried. I don't think it's going to destroy him. I'm not advocating for it. I just think that it's how it's going to go. And if it were me, and I'm investing in Big Cass, you kind of need If Big Cass can't beat Daniel Bryan after everything he's done, at least in one match, you know, I don't know. what. Like, what, do you, what does Big Cass, that's the issue. What does Big Cass do after this match if he doesn't beat Daniel Bryan? You know, he just doesn't look good for it. Daniel Bryan can recover. I don't know if Big Cass can. That's why I'm left saying Big Cass beats Daniel Bryan at Money in the Bank. We move on to the Intercontinental Championship match between Seth Rollins and Elias. I think if this match was not for the Intercontinental Championship, I would have Elias winning. Uh, I think the both. I think Seth Rollins is one of the top good guys on Raw. I think Elias is one of the top bad guys on Raw. I think this match is the match of the future. I think that one day you will see these two guys wrestling in a main event for the WWE Championship or the Universal Championship. But right now, we're seeing them wrestle for the Intercontinental Championship at Money in the Bank, and I believe that Seth Rollins will retain. I think Elias is going to have a strong showing. I think Seth Rollins retains, and then Elias moves on to the next thing, as does Seth Rollins. Uh, Bobby Lashley and Sami Zayn are going one-on-one, and... and while the build for this match has been not great, to say the least, uh, I have to tell you, I thought the obstacle course segment on Raw was effective in the sense that we all kind of rolled our eyes because some of the other segments have been so weird that Sami Zayn and Bobby Lashley have done. But it was amazing watching Bobby Lashley go through those obstacles. I mean, amazing. I'm sitting there going like, something's got to give because they're not going to expose Bobby Lashley like this. I mean, nobody can go through all those obstacles in a way that's going to make it look impressive, especially the way Bobby Lashley looks, the way he's been built up. There's no way that he's going to be able to go through those obstacles fast enough to impress us based on his appearance, and he did. Bobby Lashley came across looking like a million bucks going through all those obstacles. I think it's pretty clear that Bobby Lashley is going to beat Sami Zayn at this pay-per-view. Um, and after he beats him, he's got to move on to Roman Reigns. Bobby Lashley versus Roman Reigns is your match. That's the direction you need to head in. I don't know why you're not. Roman Reigns should be mad at Bobby Lashley. Bobby Lashley is the one that should be going for the championship. Roman Reigns has had his opportunities. Bobby Lashley is now going for Roman Reigns' spot. Roman Reigns is mad at Bobby Lashley. It's all right there in front of you. Bobby Lashley versus Roman Reigns is the match. And you could just let it happen organically. I think that Roman Reigns will lead us to making Bobby Lashley more of a babyface. I think that we'll be able to uh, we'll be able to see Bobby Lashley differently. And even if we go in a different direction and we make Bobby Lashley the heel, Bobby Lashley, when he was on this podcast before he returned to WWE, he said that he thought that he could make fans cheer Roman Reigns. He's confident in that. Let him have the opportunity. Let him have the opportunity. Bobby Lashley beats Sami Zayn. Then he goes on to face Roman Reigns. He's got to. That's the match we want to see. 
or I want to see anyway, and it only makes sense to me. Uh, you've got Roman Reigns, speaking of, against Jinder Mahal, which, you know, I think Roman Reigns has to win this. And everybody's saying that it may be Roman Reigns getting that SummerSlam match with Brock Lesnar. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, with the buildup being what it is, Jinder Mahal being who he is, this seems a little bit like a place filler for Roman Reigns. But he's certainly got to prove it, right? I think that that's, that's key. That Roman Reigns has been walking around as if he's the uncrowned champion. But he's lost all of his matches that have been for the championship. He beat Samoa Joe at the last pay-per-view. Now, I think he's got to beat Jinder Mahal. And he's got to, at least on some level, show people that he deserves to be in the next Universal Championship match. He has to, at this point. Because he's talked a big game. So now he's got to deliver. Let's get to the championship matches. Of course, your two women's championship matches. First, it's Carmella versus Asuka. I think Carmella leaves as the SmackDown women's champion. Uh, I think that Asuka specifically has been made to look strong on SmackDown so that when Carmella sneaks one by her, it doesn't hurt her quite as much. I think Asuka's going to continue to look strong, but I don't think she's going to be crowned the women's champion right now. And honestly, I think Carmella is a pretty good bad guy women's champion. I like her. And I think she's going to sneak one by Asuka not going to make Oscar look too weak, but we are going to have to swallow our pride and deal with the fact that Oscar has another defeat on her record and it's to Carmella. We'll see where it goes after. You know, I think it's crucial that if you're going to have Oscar lose to Carmella, you work double time coming off of Money in the Bank to make Oscar look strong. So hopefully that happens, but I do I do think that that Carmella leaves with that title intact and I think Nia Jax also leaves with her title intact. So, so far, all of the champions are retaining in my book. Um, I think that that you're going to see uh, Natty, Natalia, maybe cost Ronda Rousey the match. And I think you're going to see it in a way where it doesn't, it, it, where, where it's still, it, like, Natty's not just going to come in and interfere, Right. First of all, she's not winning Money in the Bank and then cashing in and winning the title. Like, that's not what they're going to do. But uh, I do believe that Natty will... Uh, I, so we'll go... I, I believe that earlier on in the night, I believe that Natalia will win the women's Money in the Bank ladder match. Natalia, I, this is, you know, just based on the storylines that have gone through, I think Natalia is going to win that Money in the Bank match. And I think she's going to come out with the briefcase... And I think it's going to distract Ronda Rousey. And I think Nia Jax is going to get the win. I think what we're setting up for is a Nia Jax-Natalia match. I don't think it's time for Ronda Rousey to be the champion just yet. Although I could see them putting the title on her. Just because they want... I mean, you know, you were talking about uh, the Fox deal. Or we were talking about the Fox deal. And Ronda Rousey, even though it's a SmackDown deal, Ronda Rousey is a huge part of this deal. Ronda Rousey is a big chess piece in the game that is the WWE right now. So I could see them putting the title on her just because of the value that she brings to the table and just because they want their promotional items to show Ronda Rousey holding a championship. The same way they wanted Braun Strowman to be holding up a championship at the end of the Greatest Royal Rumble, they may want Ronda Rousey in her promotional material holding up a WWE championship title. So on that level, I could see her winning, but... My gut tells me that Nia Jax is going to keep it. Well, let's think about this. Because what's Nia doing beyond this? Nia, in a lot of ways, 
has kind of killed the character that she was building leading up to WrestleMania in the lead up to this match. I don't see how after this match, Nia Jax is considered a good guy, right? I don't think after this match, Nia Jax is fighting for, uh, you know, body image issues and is fighting against bullying because Nia Jax has done her share of bullying. I know, I think they've tried to take a few steps back on that, the way she's been apologetic to Natty in the last two weeks, but I don't think that it's enough. And I just, I, I think it'll confuse people if Nia Jax goes back to being, you know, a, uh, here's what I think is going to happen. Change my mind. Okay, here's where we go. Ronda Rousey is going to win the Raw Women's Championship at Money in the Bank. Ronda Rousey wins that championship. Natalia is going to come out with the briefcase, right? Ronda Rousey gets distracted. Nia Jax goes for the roll-up. Does not get to pin Ronda Rousey. Right? Ronda Rousey gets up. She does something to Nia. Drop kicks her. Does something. What are you doing here, Natty? Natty's like, I'm just here to watch. She goes back to wrestling. Blah, blah, blah. Boom, boom, boom. Do this, do that. Boom, boom, boom. Do that, do this. Natty then does something where she either trips or she does some kind of outward interference. It becomes clear that Natty is trying to make Ronda lose. Right? And Natty does something, whether it's tripping her, hitting her with the briefcase, doing something behind the referee's back that allows Nia to make the cover. One, two, Ronda kicks out, grabs Nia's arm, puts her in that arm bar, Nia taps out. Ronda Rousey wins the Raw Women's Championship, and she points at Natalia, and then she points at the briefcase and goes, you want to cash that in? Cash it in. And she looks at her holding the title, and then Natalia backs away slowly, holding the briefcase. That's how I have this going. Ronda Rousey wins the Raw Women's Championship. Natty tries to interfere, but it's unsuccessful. So coming to Raw on Monday, Ronda now knows that Natty is not her friend. And Natty knows that even though she's got that briefcase, this is all blown up in her face because she now has to beat Ronda Rousey if she wants to be the Raw Women's Champion. So that's where I think that that's going. Not, Ronda Rousey is your new Raw Women's Champion. That's not the only title that's going to change hands. Nakamura wins WWE Championship at Money in the Bank. I think he needs it at this point. I think if you're going to take the bad guy Nakamura character seriously, he's been kicking dicks the entire time. Kicking dicks and taking names. I think that you have to have Nakamura win the championship in order for people to take the heel seriously, right? I, I just think it. I think it's a necessity at this point. Um, I think if you don't, then he's not a credible threat anymore. This is his, I think, let's see. We did uh, WrestleMania. I think we did a match on Raw. We did Greatest Royal Rumble. We've already done this at least three, if not four times. This, this is either the fourth or the fifth title match that these two have had. And they've all ended either at WrestleMania or with dick kicks. Enough. If you're going to keep kicking in the dick, you got to win the title. If not, nobody's going to take you seriously. Nakamura wins the championship because too many dick kicks. That's, that's how I see things going for Money in the Bank. And finally... I think we end with the men's money in the bank. Okay, I think the second to last match is Nia Jax versus Ronda Rousey. I think the final match is the men's money in the bank match. 
And that's going to lead people into believing that Braun Strowman is walking out of there with the briefcase. But Kevin Owens wins that match. Kevin Owens is the dark horse. Kevin Owens is the one that everybody's ignoring. Uh, I think some people think Braun Strowman. A lot of people think The Miz. I don't know what the gambling odds are. Um, I think that The New Day is going to do the switcheroo a few times. I don't think it's going to be just one member of The New Day. I think they're going to go Freebird rule throughout the match. But uh, I think that it's going to be a spectacular match. But I think it's going to be Kevin Owens walking out of that. If it's not Kevin Owens, it should be Bobby Roode and he should turn to a bad guy. But I think Kevin Owens wins that match. And I think Kevin Owens shows up on Raw bragging about it. I think he uses it to suck up more to Stephanie McMahon. And I think that the story is Raw brought home both briefcases. It's a big deal for Raw. You know, they were successful. And Baron Corbin takes credit for it and Kurt Angle takes credit for it. I think it's great. I think it's great. So that's how I have it going. That's how I have it going. Uh, let's see. Have Nia lose, then destroy Rousey in anger, then Natty cashes in on Ronda, then the feud into Extreme Rules. Absolutely not. Ronda Rousey is not going to win the title just to lose it. You know, she, it's just not going to happen. Ronda Rousey's not losing. That's not... They, there's a lot being invested into Ronda Rousey, and too much is being invested in her to have her lose matches. So I don't see that happening. Um... But that's what I see happening for Money in the Bank. That's what I see happening for TakeOver. And I see all of you happening right now. Thank you so much for being here on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Next week, we have part two of the Jeff Jarrett interview. It's going to be spectacular. You don't want to miss it. Stay tuned for it, and we'll see you then. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And subscribe for free to listen every week to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. For the ones standing guard, for the eagle-eyed, for the knights in shining armor, and for all those who support them, we are Granger, your experienced safety partner. Offering supplies and solutions for every industry. Committed to helping keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com slash safety, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.